and welcome to episode 23 of the Ignite Talks podcast. My name's James. Uh, usually I would ask my guests on the on the episode what they're watching on Netflix, but it's just going to be me today. So on Netflix, I've recently seen that they have put on the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies. Um, for me, these are very nostalgic. Um, I want to say they were made in the 90s, but I can't be for certain... Uh, exactly when they were made, but Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was, I know, was a huge thing throughout the 90s. Um, for me, that that was my childhood, so watching them again uh, is very nostalgic and just brings back um, a lot of a lot of memories for me. Uh, also, been watching um, or not on Netflix. It's on it's on Stan at the moment, but I recently learnt that Adrian has never seen any of the Jurassic Park movies so we've slowly been going back through them um, and I don't I don't know I've been chatting to a few people about this but um, when we first watched the Jurassic Park so the first one which was 1993 funny enough the same year that I was I was born um, I don't remember the special effect or then they're not even special effects because they didn't even use CGI for it but just the the dinosaurs and that are incredible the way they've made them I'm, I'm not even too sure exactly how they made them but it looks so real and watching them um, the other week with Adrian I'd, I was surprised at how lifelike and how great it looked for for the time it was made um, and I, I imagine that for that time it would be very um, exciting and new and sort of state of the art sort of sort of thing so credit to um, Spielberg on that because it it still holds up even to this day um, I haven't seen any of the new ones so uh, the Chris Pratt ones I haven't seen any of them so when we get up to them it'll be interesting to sort of see how how they compare but a few of my mates that I was chatting to about the Jurassic Park movie say that the Chris Pratt ones, which from memory I think came out in about 2015, I want to say, um, they're very nostalgic as well, sort of a lot of ties to to the original Jurassic Park. So very excited for that. Um, last night I actually watched on Netflix the Adam, Adam Project, which if you're not sure what that is, it's got Ryan Reynolds in it, um, a few other actors, actors actresses that I'm sure you'd know um I just can't remember them off the top of my head but essentially Ryan Ryan Reynolds his character starts off in the future and goes back to 2022 I'm not I can't remember what year he came from but he goes back to 2022 um to visit his old self I think he's 12 maybe off the top of my head um and essentially tries to prevent the Adam Project. Um, can't give too much more away. It's a very short, short movie. It only goes for about an hour and a half. So what's that? About 90 minutes or so. So relatively short for a movie these days. But if you get the chance, I, I would um, recommend that. I've also, um, just chatting about myself at the moment, uh, I've also recently rediscovered Angry Birds. So I was um, hanging out with... Um, some friends kids the other day and they they had um angry birds on on their ipad and he was showing me all of them he's like oh we we need to start from um level one and i'm fairly sure he's clocked the game but we started from level one and just again a bit of nostalgia um for me was angry birds because that was probably one of the first games that i downloaded on the ipad way back when um ipads first came out and i was trying to explain to this 
five, six-year-old kid that iPads haven't been around forever. And he was sort of a little taken back, but um, he was like, oh, you, you should download this on your phone and we can sort of play, um, I can play my iPad, you can play on your phone. So I did that and yeah, um, I'm, I'm re-addicted to Angry Birds. But yeah, that's probably enough um, talking about Angry Birds addictions and um, nostalgic TV viewing. But what I wanted to discuss today was the idea of rethinking. And what what's brought that on is that I'm currently reading a book called Think Again by Adam Grant. Um, Adam Grant's an organisational psychologist, which I'm not entirely sure what that means, but he presents this idea in in his book about rethinking, I guess, your current held beliefs or assumptions, and that um, through rethinking we can effectively become better thinkers and more effective in in whatever field we're in, I guess. Um, there's a lot of really interesting sort of um, examples he uses. Um, the one that sort of really sticks out for me is um, NASA. He talks about NASA in one of his chapters, about how NASA's um, held on a pedestal for being a really effective um, and holds high standards in execution in i guess their projects which i'm sure we all know is true um sending sending dozens if not i can't even tell you off the top of my head um how many space shuttle launches they've done but it seems like um every year they're always out in the news um about whatever project or current mission they're they're doing so he uses that and talks about how back in i think it might have been the 90s there were two space launches in a space a span of however long that um unfortunately resulted in the deaths of a total of about 14 astronauts so he talks about how um overlooking those minor details or i guess not questioning not holding whoever um accountable for those and not questioning them um and rethinking their processes and everything has led to the unfortunate loss of um, lives. Obviously, in day-to-day business, um, failing to rethink or failing to question um, your team members or um, your leaders or whatever won't result result in uh, the deaths of um, other team members. But that that's just, I guess, one example that in the book stood out to me about the importance of um, rethinking and even... Um, asking those questions that might seem trivial or might seem like common sense questions but um, can lead to rethinking Um, so yeah look it's a it's a really interesting book um, and I guess it sort of made me reflect a little bit on my own practice in teaching Uh, one memory that um, sticks out in mind to me was when I first started so so I started teaching in 2018 and I remember we were teaching numeracy so maths and the topic was multiplication and division and in the year fives we were teaching that together and I noticed that um, or I assumed the barrier that was missing from um, being able to successfully multiply two digit by two digit numbers was um, their lack of their basic timetables um, their knowledge of their basic timetable. So I sort of put together um, based off what I'd done in school, uh, which is like nearly 20 years earlier, um, was this times table program where each day we would 
essentially memorize timetables. So it wasn't learning timetables as such, looking back on it. It was more memorizing timetables. So um, I set this up in my classroom and we would do what what I called the timetable challenge where um, during the day I'd give them like 10, 15 minutes to uh, memorize their timetables or what I thought at the time was learn their timetables. Um, and that would be done through an online timetables program that um, I found and then after that we would do the time table challenge which was a leaderboard so a ladder so every student was put on the board um, and the thing was that I would randomly choose a student and they would be able to challenge someone in the class to a times table race um, they would have to get I think off the top of my head three correct to to win and if they were challenging people that were above them on the ladder they would and they won they would swap spots and i guess the the goal was to be on top to be on top of the ladder to i guess hold that top position um and at the time i thought that that was really successful that it was teaching the students um to learn their timetables while also incorporating a little bit of fun and a little bit of um, excitement so yeah I, I did that for most of most of that first year and even incorporated it into the first part of my second year of teaching and i i can't i can't pinpoint exactly what it was that made me think or made me question this um timetable challenge but i remember um, it might have been just through discussion with some other teachers in the school, but it came apparent to me that it was the old rote learning approach where it's not they're, they're not understanding their times tables. Um, it's more just memorizing facts rather than understanding how multiplication works and why um, certain numbers multiplied with other numbers give you a certain answer. So, I rejigged it and eventually I, I scrapped the whole thing um, because I didn't think it was um, actually benefiting the students. I thought it was causing more problems such as they were becoming competitive. Not not that being competitive is a, a bad thing, but um, the it was really highlighting to the students that were struggling that compared to their peers, they, they were they they just weren't on par with some of their peers so to me i guess in that sense it was like well the kids that are towards the bottom of this leaderboard are always going to be towards the bottom and by seeing themselves on the bottom and by losing um these challenges it wasn't doing their confidence a great deal but at the same time they weren't memorizing them either so they weren't learning their times tables um at all so i guess for me that was a real shift in my teaching um and looking back at it now i sort of i sort of think well i'll how, how silly of me like that's a really um silly way to or not not a silly way i guess not an effective way to help students learn their times tables because really to me they weren't really learning their times tables at all I stopped doing the times table challenge probably not even halfway through my second year and started to um, upskill myself in the understanding of um, mathematics and how to teach mathematics with understanding. So looking at different ways to teach it. So looking at teaching understanding rather than process because I thought, well, previously I've been teaching processes, so formulas, um, even uh, vertical multiplication addition whatever it was and 
I started to think that uh, are the kids understanding what they're multiplying or are the kids understanding what they're adding together or are they just following a process? And um, it became clear that they were more following a process. So um, for me to change that, I then had to rethink the way I was teaching it, rethink the way I was planning it um, and approaching the teaching to then, I guess, instill that into the kids as well for them to understand because I, I believe that when they understand what they're doing in numeracy, then they'll be able to apply it, um, not only in the real life, but in other areas of their numeracy learning as well. So um, it really became my purpose, or I guess it really that really drove the purpose of my teaching um, from just memorising um, more traditional rote learning to um, trying to teach for conceptual understanding in the students' mathematics. So yeah, upon reflection, that's probably a... Um, Probably a turning point in my teaching uh, philosophy was when I rethought about um, probably more so questioned why why am I doing it this way? Um, is it is it allowing them to be um, effective learners? Are they understanding what they're doing or are they just following a process? Adam Grant in in his book also goes on to talk about the mindsets of a person um, when it comes to their values or their opinions, and he defines them in three um four actually sorry mindsets so the preacher the prosecutor the politician and the scientist so the preacher will be the one that um is preaching their own values and opinions and beliefs on other people the prosecutor will be the one that um, prosecutes or shuns other people's opinions beliefs and values um and then you have your politician who um argues or tries to persuade everyone else why they're right or why their values and beliefs are more correct and then he proposes that people should be approaching approaching it more from the mind of a scientist so having a hypothesis or having a having a um a wondering or a question um running experiments or tests um on that and then drawing conclusions from it and then that's almost like a cycle in itself. So he explains that rethinking is um, not only a set of skills, but also a mindset. So that scientific mindset of having um, a question or an hypo- a hypothesis and then um, doing things to sort of test that and see if it's, I guess, accurate. Which going back to the timetable example, I probably shifted in between in and out of all of these um, mindsets before landing into that scientific one, I was preaching that the way or the method that I was teaching um, multiplication timetables was most effective because um, I could see kids were knowing their timetables. Um, I was prosecuting other people's um, methods of teaching timetables because their results weren't the same as mine. Um, and I was politicking saying that you should do it this way. Um, and I might have convinced a few people to do it that way, but I wasn't really thinking about um their application of their knowledge which wasn't there at the time but I wasn't able I guess to see that and then to to shift that I guess I moved into scientist mode um, or a scientific way of thinking and realizing that hey these kids actually aren't understanding what they're doing they're just memorizing timetables is that effective Um, are they able to apply that well no they're not because if they were they should be able to um, have greater knowledge in other areas of their mathematics which they they weren't or 
I didn't think that they were. And through this, I guess I've become more open-minded to other ways or other practices of teaching, not only multiplication and mathematics, but reading, writing, all the other subjects as well, um, and really come to understand that, well, that I don't know what I don't know and that it's okay that I don't know what I don't know because I think that's a really important message not only for new graduate teachers but teachers regardless of where they are in their career because you don't know what you don't know and there's always going to be um, better practices I guess or more efficient ways to teach certain things depending on the individual and and your students but um, that it's okay not to know what you don't know but go and explore that if there's something that you're curious about or something that you aren't sure of go and explore that because there's always going to be things out there that you don't know but if you have enough humility about it to know that you don't know everything but you are also open enough to go and explore it well then I think that's just going to be of benefit not only to yourself but um, your students but not even in the education section but any any job I guess one reason that he explains why people hold on to their opinions and um, beliefs so tightly and get so defensive or um, take it personally when people question it is exactly that because they're attaching their their opinions and their beliefs to their identity so if people question their beliefs and their opinions then it's almost as if they're being questioned them as a person so um, that's one thing that he says um, you should try to separate is your beliefs and opinions and your identity because when you attach your identity to your opinions then it becomes very hard to have an open mind to different perspectives when people are questioning um, your or challenging I guess is probably the better word when they're challenging your opinions which is something that i know i often get caught up in is when people are challenging or questioning my opinions or my beliefs that i, I do at times um, get on the back foot a little bit and i do take it a little personally because um, maybe i hold that opinion too close to my my identity so maybe i need to detach them and then just realize that my opinion is separate to my identity and they're challenging my opinion or my belief rather than my identity um, which is funny enough because I, I have conversations like that with some of my students at times when um, I pull them up on a behavior they they all of a sudden think that I'm pulling them up on their character or them as a person and I've actually explained to a couple of my students that it's not them that's the problem or it's not them their character or them as a person that I'm questioning or pulling them up on it's their behavior and their choices and I think it's powerful for students to understand that or kids to understand that at a younger age because then they will hopefully or they should hopefully um, grow up with a bit more of an open mind um, not having their opinions or their behaviors or their choices attached to them as a person and really separating the two. A strong message through the book as well is um, that realisation that in the last 30 years, look how much technology has changed and evolved and um, and still is evolving and changing and improving. So he questions why is our thinking or why is our opinion not evolving and changing with it? Why are we still holding on to beliefs and opinions from 50 years ago even though research and um, data would suggest otherwise and that sort of really made it clear to my mind why rethinking is so important because 
when are we updating our beliefs and our opinions on things um are we doing it regularly are we questioning why we're doing things is our methods that we're doing um whether it's team building or whether it's um individual skills in whatever field it might be are we revisiting the drawing board and um finding different ways to do it more efficient ways to do it is there more a more efficient way of doing something um and yeah i guess that's probably the premise of the book is just rethinking um long-held beliefs and opinions i guess and making sure that they're still aligning with with our goals and what what we want to achieve i really hope i really hope that this podcast doesn't come off um or doesn't make me come off as um what what we were talking about earlier about that preacher mode or that prosecutor mode or mindset because please that that's not what i'm trying to get get at i'm just trying to explain how this book has um effectively made me rethink and sort of question some um things that i do not only in my teaching but also um in my personal life as well and it's sort of made me think as well because um as mentioned in some early episodes that there are a few people i know of who are leaving teaching um for whatever reason and i used to think well maybe what what what's led them to that to that decision i guess like um especially those ones who in the past have absolutely loved it but are now off um pursuing other interests and other passions but i guess that's sort of maybe they're in a good rethinking cycle because they're rethinking well hey maybe teaching isn't um longevity for me maybe it's not long term and that's great um i think i think you should constantly be rethinking um not only your opinions and beliefs and that but also your career as well i guess the big unanswered question about all of this rethinking is when should rethinking end and to that i think it differs from person to person um, even situation to situation it might not necessarily end but um, rethinking doesn't always have to change our mind and I think that's important to keep in mind when thinking about rethinking um, because it's not rethinking to change your personal opinions or your beliefs but it's rethinking to question it and still see if it aligns with everything Um, rethinking doesn't always have to change our mind Uh, it's like a student rethinking a question on their test it doesn't necessarily mean that what they got is wrong and they need to change the answer but it's thinking about whether they've followed the right process or use the right strategy to get to the right answer now that's just one example of how you might use rethinking or how a student might use rethinking within the classroom but rethinking doesn't always have to change our minds and i i really would like to emphasize that um, we're not rethinking to change our mind but it's more even if we decide not to pivot on our belief or a decision, we still come away knowing that we've reflected more thoughtfully on that decision or belief. So yeah, that book is, um, if you're interested in it, it's called Think Again by Adam Grant. It's um, a white cover with like a matchstick on it that I think is a flame, but the flame's made made out of water. So um, I know I've definitely missed out a lot of um, other important notes, but they're the sort of things that I've been just thinking about while I'm reading the book is sort of how have I rethought my initial teaching practice and how am I rethinking and refining to um, improve it for the benefit of the students because teaching is always evolving and changing and I think as teachers we need to also evolve and adapt our teaching practices along with it.
But thanks for listening to this episode. Head over to Instagram. Give us a follow at ignitetalks.podcast. If you have any questions or feedback, you can hit us up just below and we'll talk to you next time.